Amen. Well, have a seat. Thank you, Ricky. Thank you, worship team. I don't think I mentioned when I was talking earlier about the newcomers' lunch that uh, if you are wanting to come to that, um, the sign-up sheet for that is in the hallway on the bulletin board between the restrooms. Just mark your name down there, and, uh, and we'll be sure to get you, get you all the more details for that. Well, when you, uh, when you get older, you're supposed to get wiser, right? <laughs> I've found, however, that the older you get, the more you realize you may not be as smart as you thought you were. Is that right? And maybe, maybe that's wisdom itself, right? Just, just realizing that. It's one thing to know that there are things I don't know, okay? Like, I know that there are things uh, like about music and how they do notes and all, just how they do that. I just know I don't know anything about it. Politics, I really, I, I, you know, I can't figure out how all that works. Who can these days? But uh, higher mathematics, you get me past Algebra 1 and I'm done. Uh, I'm no good there. I, I know that. The stock market, stocks, bonds, bear, bull, I, I have no idea, okay? Um, it's one thing to know what you don't know anything about. It's another to come to grips with the fact that there are things that I think I know for sure that I actually might be mistaken about. Uh, I'm pretty opinionated on some things. I'll, <laughs> I'll be honest. Uh, I can be downright stubborn. If you've worked with me on something around here, or perhaps if you are married to me, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Poor Kimberly. I got to tell you, though, recently God has uh, used some things to open my eyes to the fact that every now and then I can be wrong. You've got that on tape. Theoretically, I always knew it could be possible. But what freaked me out more than that was when I thought back to how sure I remembered being when I believed what I believed. Uh, there were a couple situations lately where, where as I realized I was wrong about something, it also occurred to me, I think by God's divine intervention, that I was convinced. And it, it, it blew me away that, that I realized how convinced I was and now that I'm obviously wrong. Anyone had that? Anyone had that experience? Yeah. No matter how right you think you are, The truth is this, perspective potentially changes everything. Perspective potentially changes everything. There's a, uh, there's a popular, uh, increasingly popular art form out called forced perspective. Have you seen any of these? Put one of these forced perspective pictures up. This is forced perspective. That's a regular size golf ball. But you see what's going on here? This guy's just way back. And now it looks like when you take the picture that that is a giant golf ball. Look at the next one. Forced perspective. Stonehenge, that's a big guy, isn't it? No, he's just really close to the picture. Go to the next one. That's kind of a cool one. I don't know what those light things are, but he's got them there with his tweezers. Keep going. She's got a giant hand reaching into the ocean there to pick up that, that gigantic. Well, now it looks small, doesn't it? Keep going. We got another one? No, that was it. You've seen these before. These aren't, these aren't your classic optical illusions. They're not, just, they're not just eye tricks. They have to do with perspective. Perspective matters, doesn't it? As humans, 
we got to admit that our perspective is limited. Our perspective is limited. It's very often dependent on our circumstances, isn't it? If I'm, if I'm young, I look at it this way. If I'm older, I look at it this way. If I'm single, I look at it this way. And then when I get married, you look at it this way. And even maybe if you're widowed, you start to look at things a lot differently, I imagine. If you are a child, then you look at things one way. If you're the parent, then, then maybe you're looking at things another way. If you're wealthy, you look at it this way. If you're, if you're not so wealthy, if you're poor, you look at it a different way. If you're a Republican, you look at it this way. Uh, I better leave that alone. This series, here's the point, this series is about perspective, and perspective matters. But this series isn't about my perspective. It's not about your perspective because our perspective is controlled by those circumstances, isn't it? Circumstances, experiences, good and bad experiences, that makes a difference, doesn't it? Situations, good or bad situations, our surroundings, our upbringing, our emotions, our attitudes, good or bad, our assumptions about some things, that uh, they all play in, don't they, to what our perspective is, and it, and it all matters. It all matters. This series is about perspective, not my perspective or your perspective. What we need to understand here is that only God has an absolute and complete and perfect perspective. Can we agree to that? Only God has an absolute perspective. We need him. We need him to tell us what the truth is. Because very often we, we might see it differently from day to day even. Have you noticed how fickle you are just based on the emotions of the day? A.W. Tozer said this about perspective. He said, The most important thing about us is what comes to our mind when we think about God. In other words... The perspective you hold on the person of God changes everything. Here's, here's why. If you get God wrong when you imagine who God is, if you get him wrong, if your perspective on him based on your circumstances, attitude, emotions, upbringing, biases, good and bad situations, and the atmosphere that you're in, if that perspective, if that picture that you get, if that angle you take to God is wrong, then everything else then will be twisted. So he's right. I would agree. He's right. The most important thing about us is what we think about when we think about God because everything, everything falls out from there. But if that's the most important thing, and I would agree, I would say that the second most important thing about us is what we think about when we think about us. The most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God, that picture you get, that perspective you take on the person of God. I would say that the second most important thing about you and I is what we think about, what comes to our mind, what perspective we take when we ponder ourselves, me. In either case, you got to come to grips with the fact that our perspective on God or ourself isn't complete. And it's very often untrustworthy. Think about it. Let me give you an example. 
If I tell you to think about God as your heavenly Father and just close your eyes and get that picture in your mind, what is your perspective as God as heavenly Father? Well, perspectives may be different. You understand how the perspective you have on your earthly father can, can be problematic to the perspective you have on your heavenly father? And so when I say, what is the picture you have in your mind about your heavenly father? It becomes skewed and twisted, perhaps by the shortcomings of your earthly father. See how that works? But that's a perspective we carry in when we think about our heavenly father. In either case, our perspective isn't completely trustworthy. We need God to tell us what's true. We need God to tell us what's true. What's true about Him and listen, also what's true about me, what's true about you. You can't trust yourself. This series for the next few weeks is all about discovering God's perspective on you. God's perspective on me. Repeat after me. God knows me better than I know myself. You believe that? That's the truth of the matter. And that's kind of scary. You would think that nobody knows you better than you do. But the fact is your creator actually knows you better than you know yourself. You see, sometimes your perspective on yourself is is skewed because we lie to ourselves. (laughs) God won't lie to you. We need him to tell us the truth, the truth about him, but we also need God to tell us the truth about us. This series, uh, I'll just go ahead and tell you, is, is intended to be good news to you. I'm excited about this series because the intention is to be an encouragement to you, not because, not because uh, I just want you to feel good or not just because uh, to, to preach uh, positive messages is the popular thing to do, but because... Life in Christ, I've found, is better than most of us really know. We don't don't know how good we have it. That's unfortunate. What God has accomplished through Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary reaches so far beyond the cross of Calvary. There's a wealth to the freedom God has given us that we don't, we don't tap into. Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We, we have no idea how free we are. But before we go to the good news of this series, and that is the primary intent, we have to spend a week on the bad news. In fact, the truth is, unless you grasp the extent of the bad news, you'll never fully comprehend the weight and the glory of the good news. You see, the next several weeks are going, to be, are going to be an encouragement to you. But unless we set, unless we set the context of how, how bad it was, we'll never understand how good we've got it. As Christians, we, we don't know how well off we are, the most of us. We just don't. We need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of how well off we actually are, of what God has actually accomplished for us. But it's also true that before we are born again, unfortunately, we don't know how bad off we are. Without God, humans suffer for what you might call, and it's the title of this first part 
of the series, Delusions of Grandeur. One medical dictionary describes a delusion of grandeur as a deep but misguided conviction of one's own importance, power, knowledge, or that one is actually a deity or a famous person themselves or has maybe a special relationship with a deity or a famous person. That's interesting. Delusions of grandeur. Spiritually speaking, at some point, we've all suffered, haven't we, from delusions of grandeur. We'd like to believe, um, we'd like to believe that all on our own, we're something real special, and we are completely self-sufficient. We're all we need. Or maybe along the lines of the medical dictionary definition that maybe we have some special arrangement with God that will get us past the truth of our sinfulness. Maybe we've got some, some, some agreement with the, with the big man upstairs. This year, uh, a new billboard campaign went up around the country. Uh, you remember a couple years ago, all these black and white billboards came out? Signed by God. Don't make me come down there. God, you've seen some of these? Yeah, it became pretty popular. Uh, a group for a world without the need for religion uh, decided that they were going to combat those black and white billboards, and they decided to put up blue and yellow billboards and uh, hit some major cities, uh, I think Indianapolis and Houston. Uh, they tried to target, uh, interestingly enough, some Bible Belt cities in their, in their minds. And um, I haven't seen one yet around Atlanta, but this year you'll probably be seeing more and more of them. And they say, you don't need God. Very simply, you don't need God. We'd love to believe that we are all we need. We'd love to believe that. Our conscience tells us otherwise. But we try our best to convince ourselves that we are good enough, we are smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. You, some of you watching Saturday Night Live. There's even a, uh, there's even a new computer and uh, smartphone app to boost our ego. It just came out. Check this out. 99 cents. You can pick this up. It's called Fan Mail. That's the new application out there. Brand new. Because you are a star. And so here's what you do. You download this app, 99 cent, pretty reasonable. And it starts sending you, you just put in a little bit of your own information. You tell them your name, you give them your occupation so they can really target you well. Uh, you give them a few other details about your, your, your family or your life, whatever you want to give them. And, and, and you start getting emails in your inbox with subjects like this. Can I have your autograph? You're awesome. Don't, don't worry about what they said because I know the truth about how awesome you are. And on and on and on, all, all, all these subject lines that are designed to, to, to help you to think positively about yourself because we're all we need. We're, we're self-sufficient. Um, that's pretty sad, isn't it? They give a little disclaimer. I went online and I, I read their, you know, the little uh, information thing they give on there. And they give a little caveat that says, please don't reply to any of these emails because the, uh, the people who have sent them are just as bogus as what we're saying about you. 
I thought that was I thought that was pretty interesting. You can't actually dialogue with your fans because they're not they're not really fans. But you feel better anyway, right? I mean, who doesn't want a couple positive emails in their in their inbox every every day? The Bible uh, the Bible doesn't lie to us though. The Bible does us a favor. It tells us the truth. Listen. Bible won't lie to us. The Bible does us a favor. It tells us the truth. It tells us the truth. It's amazing how much time and effort humanity puts into trying to convince itself that we are self-sufficient. All the while, our conscious Scripture and the Holy Spirit of God are trying to awaken our souls to the fact that we are desperately in need of help from outside of ourselves. You are not self-sufficient. Sir, ma'am, you need help from outside of yourself. And something in us knows that. But we war against it. We war against it. We, we don't want to admit it. I think it's what Scripture refers to as the pride of life that keeps us from, from wanting help that keeps us resisting help. We're like, uh, if you want a picture, we're like a drowning man flailing around in the water, about to go under, when somebody jumps in to help them. But all they can do is, is flail around and, and, and help can't be had because they just, they're just fighting against the help. As if we could actually, uh, as we're drowning, rescue ourselves. As if we... If we just paddle harder, if we just flail harder, somehow we'll stay afloat. And all the while we're going down. And here is someone to rescue us, but we're fighting against it. Um, You know what they tell you, by the way? You know what they tell you if you're trying to save someone for drowning and they're, you know, they're flailing about and they're fighting against you? You know what they tell you? Push them off. Push them away from you. You got to let them, got to let them stop trying. You got to let them stop freaking out. You, you push them away in an attempt to let them calm down. You know what the other thing they tell you to do is? Punch them right in the face. No, they don't say that, I don't think. You won't find that in the first aid handbook. Uh, I've seen it in a couple movies though, right? You, you got to admit, you've seen that they're trying to save somebody and pushing them off doesn't really help. So what do you do? You just, give the, you just cold cock the guy and then he's out and then you can actually help him. Because what you want the whole time is just for them to stop trying. You're obviously drowning, man. Quit flailing about. Let me wrap my arm around you and pull you in. You just lay back into the arms of the rescuer. Sometimes, uh, sometimes we need the shock of, of truth to awaken us spiritually. Sometimes we need the shock of hard truth to awaken us spiritually. So um, let, let's, let's be done with the clever introductions and illustrations and examples and, and whatnot. Let's, let's just tell the truth for a moment. Perhaps you found yourself here this morning by the providence of God. Perhaps you're still flailing about trying to keep yourself afloat spiritually paddling your way through life, believing that your efforts might somehow entreat you to a holy God. Perhaps you believe that by yourself you are sufficient. 
Let me tell you this morning what God says about me, about you, when we are without Christ. Uh, I'm going to ask you to do something. We don't, we don't normally do this sort of thing, but um, I just want you to either close your eyes and listen to what the Bible has to say about us for just a moment, or just uh, lean forward, and, and why don't you just stare at the floor and, and contemplate in your heart. Don't just let, just let this hard truth roll past you. I want you to, I want you to absorb it. If you, if you are a believer, um, Paul said very often that it is beneficial to us to be reminded of what the truth was about us in our former condition. And so even if you are in Christ... It is beneficial to you, Christian, to remember who you formerly were when you were not in Christ. And here's what it does. It humbles you before your God, but it also humbles you among this congregation, among fellow believers. Because such were each of us, right? And so it would do us all, do us all good to remember. If you're not born again, if you can't say for sure that you have stopped relying completely on yourself and trusted fully and solely in the blood of Jesus, as we sang about earlier, then will you listen for just a moment to some of the things, the hard things that Scripture has to say about us and ask if you can if you can be courageous enough, ask the Holy Spirit to confirm whether these things are true about you or not. Listen to your conscience, if you will. First and foremost, we are to be known as sinners. Who has not lied, cheated, stolen something, even something small, maybe time from your employer, Who has not broken one of those commandments? Maybe what we might refer to as more of the minor commandments. Who has not murdered? You know, Jesus said in the New Testament that if you hate in your heart, then you're guilty of the same. Who has not committed adultery? Jesus also said, as he can see completely and clearly into the hearts of men, that if you lust in your heart, that you've already committed adultery, spiritually speaking. God sees to the depths of our hearts, and we have all sinned, Scripture says. Scripture says that our hearts are terribly wicked and defiant. They even lie to us. To the Ephesian church, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul said these things. See if he didn't beat this horse well enough. Verse 1, you're dead. You're a trespasser. You're a sinner. Verse 2, he calls them sons of disobedience. Verse 3, by our very nature, we are children of wrath. A little bit further down, verse 
We are fleshly. We are separated or alienated from Christ in our sin. We are excluded from the commonwealth of His children. Scripture calls us strangers. And He says we have no hope. And He sums it all up in Ephesians 2.12 by saying that we are without God in the final analysis. Without God. That's the state of man outside of Christ. Uh, I could go on and on. Why don't you look at me now? I could go on and on. Um, scripture, scripture doesn't pull any punches. From Old Testament to New. God would have us to know the truth about ourselves. And before we come to Christ, we have to understand how bad off we are. There's nothing in us that can entreat us to our God. There's nothing in us that we can muster that might help us to gain favor with God. Part of our problem is is that we compare ourselves to those who are around us and not to the holy standard of God himself. God said, be ye holy as I am holy. Essentially, he has called us to perfection in an effort to show us that we're not perfect so that we might cry out to him for grace and mercy. And so scripture over and over and over again helps to point us to our wretchedness, our terrible need of God's help. But instead we, <laughs> we flail about. We flail about. My prayer is, is that this morning the Holy Spirit would cold cock you perhaps, would awaken your soul to the hard truth, however harsh these words may sound, that you are a sinner, that you are sons of wrath, that you are, that you are uh, an enemy by your own declaration towards your Creator, that you're, not, that you're not as good as you might think you are, that you're not as self reliant as you might believe you are. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit awakens your soul to the truth. The best thing that we can do for you is to tell you the truth, even if it is the hard truth. Part number one of this series is I don't want us to have any delusions of our own grandeur. It does us no good. Now let me make something clear here. Scripture and the God of Scripture has no desire with these hard words to pound you into the ground and rub your face in the mud while he sits on your back like some cosmic bully. That's not God's heart. God's heart, on the other hand, is to knock every prop and every man-made crutch out from under you so that you can fall flat on your back with nowhere else to look but up. So that you have no other option but to cry out for help to someone from the outside to save you. Scripture says that God's desire is that no one would perish, but that we all might come to repentance. God's not a cosmic bully. This hard truth is not designed to push you down and keep you down. The goal is this. The goal is for you to come to the end of yourself so that you have nowhere else to go but to God. 
and so that you can surrender into the arms of the rescuer and stop fighting. Stop flailing about as if you could keep your head above water. For all have sinned and we're all going down. Now you may compare yourself to the neighbor next door that's cheating on their spouse or cheating on their taxes or in their business. You're better than Al-Qaeda, I'll give you that. But what God would have us to know about me, about you, before we come to Christ, we are, we are in desperate need. We can't do anything to help ourselves. It is by grace that you are saved. If you are considering the prospect of salvation and Christ's payment for you, you need to know this, that it is by grace that you are saved through faith. And even that faith is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Lest any man should boast that he was smart enough, brilliant enough, bright enough to come to the conclusion that God is what he needs. The truth is, is that God awakens our souls. Maybe this morning the hard truth that you are in fact a sinner, an enemy of God. Maybe the Holy Spirit is awakening you to that fact. If that's you, uh, I want to I tell you that there is joy on the other side of this story. You see, although this message is intended to stop us from creating in ourselves any delusions of our own grandeur, I would end this message by telling you that there is good news. You see, the good news is that when you, when you fully embrace the bad news, that you can't help yourself, when you come to the end of yourself, there is actually great news. God doesn't leave us there. Now he's able to wrap his arms of love around us and rescue us when we stop flailing about. God alone can save you, can redeem you, can justify you, can make amends for your debt of sin. God alone. And so I, I implore you, um, let the Spirit deal in your heart this morning. If you're a Christian, might this be a reminder as it was to the Ephesians that we were formerly ourselves excluded, separate, strangers, without hope, without Christ, alienated, and without God. And you leave this place with a better understanding of just just how precious that blood is. And you be humbled towards your God and humbled towards each other that there was nothing in any one of us that caused God to be so impressed with us that he decided to save you or I. It was strictly by his grace and out of his mercy that he awakened our soul. And so for the next few moments, Christians, why don't you pray that God would awaken yet one more soul. Pray with me. Father God, um, 
I pray against any delusions of grandeur in our hearts. That we might not believe that we have something in and of ourselves that is that is notable, that is special, that is that has made us worthy of your grace. Grace well, grace comes all on its own. There's nothing in us that merits your forgiveness. Your love is based entirely and completely in who you are. And that makes us love you even more, God. That makes the good news even that much better. That you loved us. That you loved us knowing us completely. Knowing us better than we know ourselves. Knowing us to the depth that we don't even know. Seeing not just our, our outward sin, but the sins in the depths of our heart, right down to our, our sinful motivations and our selfish motivations. Father, you, you, you know us better than we know ourselves. And that is a scary and yet sobering and painful thought. But Lord, might it, might it today for, for one, might it be transformed into good news. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ your Son died for us. While we were yet sinners, He died for us. Father, you know us completely, and yet you love us still. What terribly wonderful news. Holy Spirit, Awaken the darkened heart of a man or a woman in this place today. Pull us away from our delusions, our illusions of grandeur. Cause us to wave the white flag and to give up and to fall into the arms of Jesus Christ rescuer and our cornerstone. It's in his name we pray. Amen and amen. We're going to sing one last song. Why don't you take this as an opportunity? Go ahead and stand. You don't have to sing. You can just listen to the words. Why don't you pray? If you're a Christian, pray for yourself that God will humble you through the truth about you. Even if it were the former you, thank him. Thank Him and pray for those who might not have been awakened in their soul just yet. That God would be gracious. That He would extend mercy to one more this morning. Hey, if you need someone to talk with, I'll be up here. You can come just sit down next to me. If you want to use the altar, you can use the altar. If you want to take communion as a way of communing with God this morning, feel free to enjoy communion during this last song. Maybe you don't want to come up and talk to me now. Maybe you just want to grab me on the way out and just say, hey, I, I want to talk about this. There's something about this grace and this God that, is, that has got my heart this morning, maybe in a way it's never had it before. If that's you, I'd be my great joy. It'd be my great joy to spend some time talking to you about it. And so let's sing this last song and do business with God, and then we'll be dismissed.